Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. And now, a word about the sponsor of our podcast, Anchor. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to That Anthro Podcast. Woo! First of all, before we start this week's episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much to our first guest, Amy Anderson, for coming on the podcast, to Dr. Danielle Curran, who has been so helpful in producing and creating this podcast, and to really everyone that listened last week and supported and shared kind words with me about the launch. It was so fun to be able to finally share this podcast with all of you, and I big things are to come. Uh, one last note that I'd like to say is that currently due to COVID, we are recording remotely, so I do apologize. The audio isn't perfect, but we really are just starting out this podcast, and there's a lot of room to grow from here, so yeah. But today we have Megan Kenner. So I met Megan through one of our anthropology classes this past spring, and she is so cool. She's so humble, but I'm going to brag about her because I think she is just so cool. She just graduated from UCSB with her BA in biological anthropology, and she plans to attend medical school to become a doctor. Not only does she is she fascinated by biological anthropology, she also knows a ton about paleontology, forensics, proper biology. She's so smart. She's an EMT. She's been playing classical violin since she was three. She plays the bass guitar. She's an equestrian show jumper. And she was born and raised in Alaska. And her research project that she did for this class that we both took is all about the Arctic variant in Alaskan native populations. And who better to come on the podcast and tell us all about this than someone who was born and raised in Alaska? I think this is going to be such a fascinating episode. So stay tuned for Miss Megan Kenner. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Gabby. Thank you for having me. Let's start out this episode by explaining some of your background growing up in Alaska so how long have you lived there, and what are your, some of your favorite things about the state and culture? I was born and raised in Alaska, and the first part of my life was spent in a small, traditional Yupik village called Togiak. Alaska is over four times the size of California and only has a population of about 800,000 people. The biggest town in Alaska, called Anchorage, has a population of about 300,000 people and Togiak has a population of about 850 people, so it's really small. Togiak is what we call the bush of Alaska. By the bush, I mean any region of the state that is not connected to a road network or does not have access to the state's ferry system, which is a majority of the state. I absolutely adore Alaska. 
every time I come back home since I went to college in 2016, it feels like a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders because it's such a freeing and a happy place to be. Winter is my favorite season, so with the nine months of the year being winter here, it's a great fit for me. Oh, I can't wait to visit Alaska myself. Well, growing up, you must have had a really unique perspective on Alaskan Native populations and their culture, having a mom who worked as an anthropologist in the government. Do you feel like your mom's job has helped connect you to anthropology or helped spark some of your research interests? Growing up around my mom, who is an anthropologist at the Fish and Wildlife Service in Anchorage right now, definitely shaped how I see, how I see other people in the world. She opened my mind at a young age to an awareness and an interest in people who had different traditions and cultures than my own. Because she has always worked so closely with the Alaska Native peoples, I grew up close to them as well, especially during the beginning of my life in Togiak. And did she inspire you to major in anthropology as an undergrad? Originally, when I began my undergrad, my major was actually chemistry, which I enjoyed very much. However, I had questions about humanity and human behavior that I wanted to explore, and the major of chemistry didn't necessarily focus on that. I was, it wasn't until I was about halfway through college that I declared my major alongside medical school prerequisite courses to be biological anthropology, which I have come to find is the perfect area of focus for me. It's a kind of a funny story, actually. One of the last classes I took at community college was biological anthropology to meet a prerequisite requirement for UC Davis, I believe, and I ended up completely loving it. The professor was a primatologist who worked with gorillas, and it was a really fun experience. So to answer your question, my mom inspired me to ask questions about human behavior, development, and biology, and on my own through a very diverse undergraduate path for which I'm really thankful for, I discovered anthropology on my own terms. When I decided to attend UCSB as a bioanth major and I told my mom about it, she was like, oh my gosh, you're gonna be an anthropologist? I'm an anthropologist. And we laughed because that's the first time we had ever talked about anthropology using the name anthropology. I had a very similar experience with my own mom in that we realized we were interested in a lot of the same things and we just never put a label on it. Yeah, it's so um, funny how that works out. Yeah. So fill us in on some of your college history. Uh, you just recently graduated UCSB with a bioanthropology degree. And so what brought you to UCSB and what are some of your plans going forward for graduate school? So in high school in Alaska, I really wanted to attend UCSB because I think for the, you know, I didn't really know anything about college at that point and like what was going to be the best fit for me. But, you know, UCSB was right on the beach and it was in California. I'd never been to California. And so that was where I wanted to go. But I ended up first going to a private Christian school and then to a community college and then to UCSB. And it's funny how things work out. And I ended up going to UCSB anyway, three years later. I understand later. that. <laughs> <laughs> so from attending a couple of schools before UCSB, I knew what environment I needed to be successful, and UCSB's environment ended up being perfect. I was so excited to work in their biological anthropology program and with the faculty there. I am very grateful for having the opportunity to attend UC Santa Barbara. I have learned more than I ever thought was possible in one year. Now I'm going to attend UCLA for additional medical school prerequisites in preparation for the MCAT, and then I'll be applying to medical school. 
However, I'm always open to new opportunities should they arise along the way. One of the fun facts that you told me about yourself is that you were a research assistant at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County in the Dinosaur Institute. Tell us about that. What was that like? So from attending Glendale Community College in Los Angeles County, there were some really fantastic experiences that came from that. That community college is amazing and the professors are amazing. And so my like general biology professor and marine biology professor, um, he um, gave me the opportunity of working at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. And what that entailed was I spent a year there and the first half of the year was in the ichthyology collections and ichthyology is the study of fishes. So I, before this experience, I just thought museums were like the exhibits, but I had no idea that museums have like many floors of different departments like ichthyology, paleontology, malacology, herpetology, anthropology um, that have collections and the collections are um, specimens. And so the really cool thing about ichthyology is that it's wet specimens, meaning that it's more than just bones. Like in paleontology, it's, you know, basically just like bones, but in ichthyology, there's, it's wet specimens and they have millions. And so, and, and the people in these collections are always doing research. And so I was able to do research in ichthyology and I was really interested in deep sea fishes. If you've never Googled deep sea fish, you need to, because it's so cool. (laughs) I just think of Nemo, the the one with the little light. Yeah. So, oh my God, that's an angler fish. And I could just go on and on about them, but yeah, they're amazing. There's many different species. Some of them are actually like, you think that they'd be like huge, especially because in Finding Nemo, for example, it appears to be like huge, like absolutely like terrifying, but they're actually only the size of like your palm. And then um, the biggest species is about the size of like a softball. And what? Yeah. And this is because in the deep sea, there's so little, um, energy resources that organisms in the deep sea are typically really small because the bigger you are, the more you have to eat and there's not that much food. And also their tissues are usually like, like if you feel them, they're really, really squishy and their tissues are so thin that they're like transparent because there's again not much energy for them to be like keeping up like muscle mass and so they usually just kind of like swim in place for their whole lives in just complete darkness waiting for food to come along and so that's why the angler fish has the light to attract food and it just sits there until food comes and it can eat food so it's just fascinating but that's fascinating yeah um could you ever see yourself working or just volunteering at a museum again did you really enjoy it? Oh, absolutely. Before this pandemic, my plan was actually to work there this summer. Oh. Because it was just, yeah, it was so In cool. In the Dinosaur Institute again? Anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. With the Dinosaur Institute, one of the really cool things I got to learn there, because those are, um, um, you know, skeletal remains, 
is that the individual I was working with, um, her name is Maureen Walsh, and she is just so knowledgeable, so fun to work with, so incredible. And she made casts because a lot of the um, skeletons you see in museums or that are unearthed, they're not complete. And so they have to fill in the parts of bones that have parts missing and then build whole new, um, you know, like if a vertebrae is missing or like Mm -hmm. a femur or something, they have to recreate that. And so she taught me kind of like how to make those casts. And then what materials do they use? I, it's mostly just clay. Um, yeah. And then they make the clay, um, they try to make it, you know, match the color of the bone, but yeah, it's really cool. Well, thanks for telling us about that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. If if you get the opportunity, you know, try to, I don't know, work in the collections of a museum because it's the coolest thing in the world. And, And the researchers are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. They're just so fun to work with. Now we're going to introduce Megan's research project that she created for an anthropology class that we actually both took this past spring term with Dr. Curran. And Megan's project focuses on the Arctic variant in the Yupit people of Alaska. To best understand the variant, we're going to give you some background so that you can have a working understanding of the culture. Before discussing the Arctic variant, I want to state that tribal health in Alaska has not been involved in my work up to this point. And I am in the process of reaching out to them to ensure good collaboration around this story that affects the Alaska Native people preferentially. So in anthropology, you learn that when studying any aspect of human beings, it's extremely important to remember that a human is more than what you're studying. They have language, culture, traditions, values, experiences, emotions, and purposeful lives. It is essential to receive informed consent through every step of the research process and to ensure that the people you're talking about approve what you're going to publish and have read your manuscript and provided edits when needed. As an anthropologist working with others, it's not your story that you are telling. Alaska is home to many different indigenous peoples like the Haida, the Nupiat, the Tlingit, Athabascan, and many more. My project focuses on the Yupit, singularly known as Yupik people. These cultural groups are differentiated by their cultural traditions and their language, not by their phenotype. Due to their extreme geographic location, the Yupit in Alaska have been able to retain their traditional languages and other essential aspects of their way of life, like subsistence strategies. The the Yupit are within the Inuit, a group of culturally similar indigenous peoples inhabiting Arctic regions of Alaska, Greenland, and Canada. The term Eskimo is derogatory and should no longer be used to describe the group of indigenous peoples known as the Inuit. The Yupit rely on a mixed cash subsistence economy where most economic activities involve no direct cash flow, but are focused on the basic provisioning of food, clothing, and shelter rather than relying on a market or store for these resources. Yupit life is one revolving around with the land. Humans and animals communicate through the spirit of the universe or the unseen one who gives the Yupit their way of life, rules of life, and truth of life. Animals are sentient beings and they are your equals. For example, a fisherman will never play with fish, meaning catch and release, 
hunters do not take any part of their big game animal catch for themselves, those resources go to the community as, as a way of showing the animal that you respect them for giving their life to you. Burying a portion of your animal catch in the ground soil is a sign of respect. Animals offer themselves to you and your family if you never act with, with anger, boastfulness, or selfishness. These are the worst emotions one can be overcome by. One must be careful with their thoughts and words at all times because the spirits of the land, animals, and previous generations are always listening. Wow, so interesting. Thank you so much for giving us that background. Now, could you go into explaining what the Arctic variant is and how it expresses itself in the population? And it's the CPT1A Arctic variant. Yes. So an important aspect of the Yupit way of life is their relationship with water. So marine mammals and fish, they live along the Kuskokwim River, the Yukon River, and the Bering Sea. Due to this geographic location and other factors like Alaska's long winters, marine mammals and fish have traditionally made up a majority of the diet of the Yupit, which is high in fat, high in protein, and N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids. The Yupit actually consume 20 times the amount of N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids annually than the mean intake of the general United States population from this diet. Wow. And N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids are really great for you. <laughs> so we need, that's why it's good to take your fish oil pills. Yes. Um, it is hypothesized that this traditional diet of high fat, high protein led to the selection of the Arctic variant. So the Arctic variant is a mutation of the carnitine palmitoyl transferase gene, a gene responsible for mitochondrial fatty acid oxidation. This means that the gene is responsible for helping your body turn fat into energy when glucose stores are low. The Arctic variant is the result of a missense mutation. This is when one nucleotide in a codon or a three nucleotide sequence is changed, resulting in the formation of a different amino acid. In this case, a leucine is substituted for a proline, which results in the CPT1A gene to only work at about 15 to 20% activity. However, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Although called a variant, the Arctic variant version of carnitine palmitoid transferase is the normal version among the Yupit, and it affects them preferentially. The Arctic variant of this gene was first identified in the early 2000s and is thought to have undergone one of the strongest known selective sweeps in human history in Inuit populations between 6,000 and 23,000 years ago on the western side of the Beringia land bridge that once connected Russia to Alaska. This means that the variant may have been present in the ancestors of the Alaska Inuit population before they arrived in Alaska from Russia. The Arctic variant is inherited in an autosomal recessive manner. An individual who experiences the effects of the variant inherited two recessive alleles from their parents and are homozygous recessive. Because of the reduction in activity in the carnitine palmitoyl transferase gene with the presence of this variant, children may be affected more than adults because they have less glucose stores in their body just because of their smaller size. Wow. What inspired you to pursue researching this topic? In 2016, when I was a senior in high school, 
I was given the amazing opportunity to shadow doctors and nurses in the labor and delivery and the neonatal ICU units of the Alaska Native Medical Center in Anchorage. And I heard about this variant during that experience and I was really interested. This past year, I finally felt like I had acquired the science background to be able to understand the biochemistry of the variant. So currently I'm communicating with Dr. Matthew Hirschfeld, a physician and expert on the Arctic variant in Alaska and other very knowledgeable people who are part of the Alaska Area Institutional Review Board, the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, and the South Central Foundation who are helping me take the appropriate next steps with this project. At this moment, Megan's in the process of communicating with Tribal Health in Alaska, so we can't go publicly into more detail on Megan's work until it's been reviewed and approved by all parties involved to ensure that there's good collaboration around the story and that it affects the Alaskan Native people preferentially. I think what Megan is researching is so fascinating, and I know I can't wait to hear more, so definitely expect a follow-up episode to come with more details about Megan's work. Thank you so much, Megan, for being here, and remember to subscribe or follow for weekly episodes, and check out our Instagram, at That Anthro Podcast, for more information on the podcast, Megan, and future episodes. Thank you. Bye.